Amen. Wonderful thought. How many of you, that was a new chorus for you tonight? Not sure if you've sung that before. Uh, thank you, Brother Joe, for jumping in um, with everything right there and leading us into uncharted waters. But uh, nonetheless, what a great message. New life in Christ. Let's go ahead and take our Bibles tonight. We're going to be in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, if you would go there with me. And again, if you do not have an outline, uh, you've not gotten one of those, um, and uh, you need one, if you just lift your hand right where you're seated, we'll try to get one so that you can follow along with the message notes. And one last check, looks like everybody's got one. Thank you, Brother James, for uh, kind of looking around for me there. really appreciate that. Uh, before we get into our text this evening, I wonder, do we have any praises, uh, anything going on that uh, is praiseworthy? Um, and certainly... Um, certainly we all could probably think of something, but something that you just, uh, God's done for you recently and you're anxious to, to mention or lift his name, uh, answer to prayer, uh, something God's done for you. Um, yes, ma'am. Praise the Lord. Yes, uh, Zach's surgery um, did, has gone well, and well, I just appreciate Zach's, Zach's spirit. Uh, he's, he's ready to take on the world with his leg like that, and I'm like, oh, well, slow down, Zach. Slow, slow down. All right, let's let that thing heal up just a little bit, um, but uh, love his spirit. Anybody else? Uh, praise to mention. Yes, sir. Praise God. Amen. Wonderful. Answer to prayer. Clear scan. That's great. Anybody else? Anybody else? Yes, sir. Oh, wonderful. Sister be, sis, okay, great. Sister being baptized soon. Uh, that's fantastic. It's uh, wonderful to be able to see our loved ones take those steps, those spiritual steps of obedience, and that's fantastic. Anybody else? Anybody else? Well, good. Uh, I like to give updates from time to time on, on things, how things are going in the youth group, and uh, um, things are going well. I'm very, very thankful. Um, you, you guys don't get to see it, um, and it's certainly not because of my preaching on, on Wednesday nights, but um, I would say when we have our challenge in the youth room, it's not uncommon when it comes time for the invitation to be some 20 teenagers come forward um, and pray. And um, that, that's just a wonderful thing to see tender hearts uh, in, in and among our teenagers. And so I'm really thankful for that. Uh, something that was really neat uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were trying to challenge the teenagers on just encouraging one another and um, trying to not be critical and tear each other down and that, that sort of thing. And um, I thought it was really neat. Uh, one, of the, uh, uh, one of the teachers walked into uh, the back hallway of uh, one of the changing rooms um, that uh, often the teens will use. And um, some of the older girls in our youth group started at a wall of encouragement and uh, basically putting uh, verses uh, and encouraging statements about the Lord um, on, on that wall via sticky notes and uh, just sending little messages of encouragement. And, uh, you know, that, that they did that all on their own. Uh, we didn't tell them they had to do that or anything. Uh, but uh, just encouraging, isn't it, uh, to see God working in our teenagers and seeing them have a heart for the Lord taking uh, those steps. So those are some things that have encouraged my heart um, recently. wanted to share those with you. Uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. And some of you um, who have heard me preach this year know that this is a series that I wanted to start whenever I periodically would speak to the adults, when Pastor would have me speak to the adults, um, in here. And so um, we're actually covering a good amount of ground tonight because 
Um, if I go just a couple to three verses at a time, I'll, I'll probably be preaching to my grandchildren at that rate, um, because this this passage does cover three chapters of the Bible. So we're gonna we're gonna um, cover some some good ground tonight. You've got your outline there. You see the theme that we're gonna be looking at. But I want to direct your attention to the text to kind of get a, a, a concept of where, where we're going. You notice in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, when we started this series, Christ starts his message here, this sermon, perhaps uh, the greatest sermon that he ever preached, or so many have said. He starts it talking about the blessed life, or we could say the Christian life. And what, what is it, what is the attitude, or, or what are uh, what is the spirit of the Christian or the one who is living the blessed life? And he says, you know, blessed here are, are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. What is he talking about? He's talking about those who have accepted Christ, those who are uh, walking with him and want to do what's right. Uh, that, that's the blessed life, and it truly is a blessing to display those characteristics as we uh, live each day for him. So he describes that. He goes on in verses 13 here through 16, and he talks about as the Lord has worked in us, he also works through us. And that's the, ye are the, the, the light of the world. Ye are the salt of the earth. So God's doing a work in us, and that light begins to shine. And the Lord can use it for his glory. So then he, he goes to the next section of verses that we looked at last time, which is 17 through 20. And here he's establishing the fact that he, he has come because his heavenly father has sent him. And he has come not to replace what has been said or communicated through God's revelation in the Old Testament, but he has come to support that. He's come to fulfill the law. And so he establishes that with some really key verses that um, establish his authority, and that goes on through verse 20. But the next section really builds on uh, the foundation he lays in verses 1 through 12 about being who we ought to be in Christ. And so you'll notice the theme of here, verses 21 through 48, is this pattern where he starts off. Look at verse 21. He says, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not, verse 22, but I say unto you. And he repeats this sequence time and time again. Hey, you have, you have heard this. You've heard it said by them this, but I say unto you. And, and what is he doing here? Well, who is the them? Who, who is it? It has been said, they have said unto you, who is the they here? Is he, is he talking about the, the law that was given and now Jesus is coming about and he's somehow correcting the law? Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm going to correct what's been... No, no, no. He's here to fulfill. What he's saying has everything to do with every, every agreement with what has already been said. He is drawing attention here to the Pharisees and their erroneous teachings, the standards that they had laid or what they had added to what had already been given. And so he here is giving, rephrasing the command of the Pharisees, and then he is giving an explanation on intent, which we'll talk about here in just a second. So as we get into this, we notice that the Pharisees had complicated God's revelation. Um, they had the law. They were considered to be the, the people in the know as far as the scriptures. But they had also added to it, they had something called the oral law. 
And the oral law was apart from what was written and recorded, the Old Testament, and they had all these stringent rules attached to God's law that dictated certain facets of what you could and what you couldn't do. They had become so focused, in a sense, on the letter of the law that they were missing the big picture of Christ. And that's why, as he stood before them, they all ended up rejecting him because they were so focused on something else. You know, I think it's very interesting when I think about this passage of Scripture and I think about the, the element of the Pharisees, I, I think about the Protestant Reformation. And, uh, you know, that started back in the 1500s and you swept across Europe. But what had happened was at least the main church of the day that many people would say, the Catholic Church, of course, there's always been a strand, a true church that has always been represented. But the Catholic Church had begun and, and really a long time ago started to hold truth to themselves. And so the people were not allowed to know the truth. They were not allowed to hold the scriptures. And so they were extra reliant on uh, the people who said they were representing God to tell them what they needed to do. Well, in that, they took a lot of abuses. They began adding to the laws of God. They began adding works to salvation in a way that was apart from the scriptures. And you know what? It's the exact same thing that the Pharisees and the scribes were doing years and years before. And so Jesus is addressing this, and he wants to bring them back to some very important principles that we see come to the forefront when we see and read and study this passage for ourselves. Jesus' purpose here is to make clear that the true teachings of the law against the false representations of the religious leaders of that day. You can begin filling out your outline there. I've got our first blank, and these are really four themes that you can see throughout this chunk of Scripture And I'm just going to point, draw attention to a couple of these principles, but you notice, number one, Jesus is constantly pointing us back to the spirit of what he has said, the spirit of the law. That word there, spirit, goes in your first blank. God wants our heart. You know, when we train our kids, you know, we want them to know right from wrong, but we also want to reach their heart, you know, it's important that, that my kids know the, hey, you know, the, the limits of the divine home, the things they can and they cannot do. But it's also important that they know the heart behind it and know the God who has, who has drafted those lines and those commands for us. So Jesus, he's constantly pointing us back to the spirit of the law. A person can keep a bunch of rules, but our hearts be far from the Lord. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 6 says, who hath made us able ministers of this New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Notice uh, the Spirit, there's that first blank. Notice the second principle here, we see this come up as well. The law is not only negative, it is also positive. And that, that's a format that you see repeated in these verses. Uh, Jesus is going to say, thou shalt not something, And then he's going to repeat by saying, hey, the the other side of that coin is that you do this. And so often, I know I I preach to teenagers a lot, and they they, they become so focused on the, boy, I can't do that. Boy, and I can't do that. And why can't I do that? And it's really important for us as parents and even youth pastors to go back to, hey, wait a second, but look, when you don't do that, look what that allows you to do in Christ. You know, when we think about even the two sides of, of being separate from the world, you know, it's a truth we see in Scripture, but, but separation is important that we know what would harm us, but being separate from the world also allows us to be close to something else, and of course, that something else is the Lord. 
So Jesus here draws out uh, that there's a, there's a law that is negative, but it's also, he points out, some positive as well elements to that. Uh, notice uh, the, the next thing here. The law was not meant to be a grievous set of rules, but rather to provide a means of spiritual development. Your two blanks there, rules and spiritual development in Christ. First John 5 and verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. You know, it's the fourth principle that we see here. So the law is not an end in itself. Our relationship to Christ is the end. The law was meant to point us to Christ. Paul talks a lot about that in the book of Romans. In fact, Romans chapter 8 and verse 3 says, For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. The law is not meant to be an end in itself. And boy, sometimes our kids can miss that. You know, sometimes we can miss that. Boy, we maybe sit in a service and we think, well, I can't do this and I can't do that. But, but all of this relates to a relationship with the Lord. And how special that is when we realize that. So let's get back to our text here and work through some of these important passages here. The Pharisees had forgotten these essential truths. They were looking at God's law with a different mindset that, that often left little room for kindness and grace in some instances, while in others they were being extremely permissive in others, and that Jesus draws that out. So let's, let's get back to the spirit of the law with Jesus tonight. You know, as I was thinking about this principle, the law versus the spirit, and I was thinking about uh, how kids often love to push the boundaries. Have you noticed that in your home? Or maybe you think back to the way you were. You know, I have to remember that. Sometimes I, I, I look at these teenagers and I shake my head sometimes, and then the Lord reminds me, you know, you were one. Okay, and we all were one at one time. And um, I remember, you know, pushing the envelope on things. I remember when I first got an opportunity to have some wheels as a kid, and you know, that was my bicycle. Okay. And I got the chance to ride around the neighborhood. That was fantastic. I just remember that feeling of freedom, woo, take on the world in my neighborhood. And, and then, then the next question was, well, well the, what about the next street over? Like, can, I, can I go to the next street over? And you know, kids are really good about this, but I, some of you will recognize what I mean. Let's say, for instance, my mom came out and said, okay, listen, you know, when, when you ride your bike, I want you to, you know, I want you to kind of be on this, this street right here. And uh, let's say I'm, I'm out and I'm enjoying that street and I think, well, you know, technically, technically, some of you hearing your teenagers right now, technically, this road actually keeps going. And it actually, it actually keeps going over there. All she said was just, stay on the road. So I could, I could stay on the road and take clear on to the other side. Well, I think I'll do that. And so let's say I did that. I come home. My mom's looking outside. And she's like, where in the world is little Scotty? He, he's just run off. I don't know. Did someone kidnap him? And, and finally, she catches up with me. And she, say, she says, well, didn't I tell you to, to stay on this road? And she said, yeah, I stayed on that road technically, right? But what am I doing? I'm, I'm zeroing in and parsing words in order that I might pursue some permissiveness on my own part. When in all actuality, if I would have stopped and considered the intent of what she was talking about or the spirit by which she was communicating, maybe with her arms or gesturing, uh, boy, I would have understood clearly what she was saying. 
You know, sometimes this takes place in, in different ways, and sometimes we, we like to parse God's law. Sometimes we like to look at it and we say, okay, well, technically, I think I'm still in the bounds on this principle, so that should allow me to do such and such. That was exactly the way the Pharisees were getting out of bounds with living for the Lord. So I want to look at these. In fact, Jesus gives five different illustrations of this uh, with the Pharisees, and so we'll get through our outline here. Uh, This unhealthy attitude expressed itself in five ways. So notice, first of all, they had an unhealthy view regarding the treatment of others, verse 21 through 26. An unhealthy view regarding the treatment of others. Jesus calls them out on this. Just read a few verses here of this section. It says, "You've, you've heard that it was said of them in old time, thou shalt not kill. And whoever whoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoso shall say, Thou fool, thou shalt be in danger of hell fire. Uh, therefore, if, if thou bringest thy gift to the altar, and he gets in here to some of the remedy, but let's first notice that, that they had an unhealthy view regarding the treatment of others. When it came to how people treated each other, the command against killing was the law that was being emphasized, not the intent. Well, you talk, talk about a, a, a pretty low bar, right? Well, I, I didn't kill anyone. I mean, you know, I didn't really kill them, so surely I could, and that, that's exactly how the Pharisees were counseling people. They, they had seen the command, thou shalt not kill. Well, they knew it. They knew what the command was, but they didn't realize the, the reason that command was given. Well, it should be a no-brainer that humans don't go around killing each other, but why did God give that command? Because human life is valuable, Boy, God values human life, and we ought to value human life as well. And so uh, they were instructing people in regards to, hey, can I, can I get back at this person? Can I, can I, can I you know, kind uh, of get this person in this way? And, and they would say, look, the law says don't kill, so just make sure. But you know what? Jesus comes up, and he says, hey, listen, you're, you're parsing a command, but you've forgotten the whole spirit of why that command was given to begin with. And what does he say? He says, look, you, you want to know the intent? Well, it, talks with, it starts with what's in your heart. Well, it's not the externals. Well, well I, I, you know, I didn't really hurt that person. I, I didn't really you know, do that. But Jesus says, okay, well, what was happening in our hearts? He draws this out for the benefit of the people there and certainly the Pharisees who were giving all kinds of bad advice in this day and time. And so uh, they had an unhealthy view regarding the treatment of others. Notice the next blank. God does not condone an angry spirit against others. Yeah, so when I get stirred up a- about something, you know, when I had those thoughts or I'm thinking to myself, boy, I just want to, you know, that the Lord sees that. He knows that feeling. He sees it. Boy, he doesn't want us to be angry. And certainly, you know, that anger is the step towards other things that often lead to violence and, and certainly can even lead to crossing of this boundary, this command that he was talking about. So God does not condone an angry spirit against others. How, how do we know if we're struggling with an angry spirit? Well, he actually, he talks about our words here. And uh, he gives a, a little bit about uh, these two words. Just notice he, he mentions this word raka. Then he mentions fool. He says, you know, you could be struggling with an angry spirit if your words are representing that. 
And so he says this, this idea of, of raka here that has the idea of, of, of empty-headed. You're, you're with your words, you're tearing someone down verbally, and you're accusing them of maybe being empty-headed to some degree. And uh, the next, uh, the next uh, term here is, of course, fool, and that's criticizing somebody's character. That's, that's who they are at their core. And so we've got to be very careful. We've got to be very careful of the words that we use because Jesus said that this is, this is a representative of anger that can lie in our hearts. So we've got to be careful of our words. Notice the next blank. Jesus makes the point that God is the all-knowing judge. Did you pick up on the language there uh, that he used in uh, verse 1? And whosoever shall be in danger of this, or verse 21, shall be in danger of the judgment. You know, the Pharisees were instructing people based on, hey, look, you know, you can go this far without having to end up in court. Okay, so you're asking me how to treat this person. You know, hey, I'm just telling you what the law says. You're not supposed to kill. Okay, and, and if you kill, you're going to end up in court, and uh, you're going to be found guilty. Okay, so they were, they were parsing this, this, this law at the complete opposite end that they should have been. And Jesus says, hey, listen, Lord, he that has anger in his heart, understand that you may not stand before an earthly judge. Boy, the judge of all the earth sees that. Boy, and Jesus reminds us that who we are actually as believers accountable for. You know, one of the things that I try to teach the teenagers is, hey, you know what? You may get away with something. You, you, you may do something that nobody else sees or nobody else knows, and you may do that for a while. But God always sees, and God always knows. And boy, if there's one judge that you and I should be concerned with tonight, it is the righteous judge. And Jesus brings that to the forefront. God makes the point that God is the all-knowing judge. Notice the, the next point here in letter C. A right spirit and reconciliation is the answer. It's the answer. And this is what Jesus is pointing us to. I want you to just notice that key word there in verse 24. Uh, Leave there thy gift before the altar. Go thy way. First be reconciled. You say, what, what is this passage? What is one of the major themes that Jesus is trying to get across here? Is it that people end up in court and they're battling over this and that and they're, hey, that's mine. No, no, you took, that's mine. And, you know, they're settling their disputes there. No, it's that he's emphasizing, hey, listen, this starts in the heart. And then something may be legal over here, but hey, how is your spirit and are you open to reconciliation? You know, that idea of reconciliation has the idea of restoring that which has been broken. Renewed friendships, so to speak. And he talks about here, if we have anger, we've got something between someone. He says, hey, listen, don't, don't be so high on yourself to think that, that you can go and worship before the Lord. And take your gift, as it were, before me and offer it up and, and think that you're justified in that. He says, no, leave your gift at the altar if you remember that your a brother has aught against you. So a, a right spirit and reconciliation is the answer. It's one of the themes here. So you see that uh, there's three things. He says to remember, remember back to when that happened. He says don't make the mistake of thinking that uh, one good thing erases a sinful thing and seek to be reconciled, renewed friendship. This is just one of the examples here, but notice the next portion of Scripture. You see it as we move quickly. Uh, number two, they had an unhealthy view of the marriage relationship, an unhealthy view of the marriage relationship. Uh, Notice with me the verses here. You've heard that it was said of old time that thou shalt not 
commit adultery. Now, again, remember the standard that the Pharisees are setting up here, right? I mean, they're taking the lowest common denominator in a sense. Okay, they're, they're like, well, what's the lowest bar? Okay, don't commit adultery. Okay, everybody knows that's wrong. Let's keep reading. Notice what it says. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman the lust after her have committed adultery with her already in his heart. And then he goes on to talk about how to address that when that is the case. Christ turns to the marriage relationship and addresses the issues relating to unfaithfulness. That everyone knew the act of adultery was wrong, but but uh, many were missing the spirit by which the law was given. In fact, in Mark chapter 10, I think it's an ex- excellent passage where we see God's plan for marriage. We don't have time to turn over there, but he talks about uh, leaving father and mother, cleaving to wife, one become uh, one flesh, and then let no man, what God has joined us together, let no man put asunder or divide God's plan for marriage there, Ephesians chapter 5, gives us the picture. The Lord has such a high regard for the institution of marriage, which he established, that in Ephesians chapter 5, he describes our relationship as a church to him as the bride of Christ. Boy, what a special bond uh, that we've been given uh, through marriage. But uh, the people in that day, they had an unhealthy view of this. They were focused on the wrong things. And Jesus identifies that. And notice uh, point A under this. God does not approve of lustful thoughts. Now, they had drawn the line there of, of physical unfaithfulness. Yeah, that's when you've crossed the line. Jesus draws us back and says, whoa, 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 wait a second. Look, you're focused on the wrong thing. What's the spirit by which the law was given? Boy, faithfulness in every way. God does not approve of lustful thoughts. And and let's just be honest, we live in a society that thrives on the promotion of the lust of the eyes. Boy, we do. Boy, this is a huge thing that I try to emphasize with our teenagers. Boy, I'm telling you that the, the devil is working overtime with the ways that he is trying to grab our kids and our teenagers' attention. Well, he's got it up on the billboard and it's flashing red. And he's trying to draw people through the lust of the eyes. Jesus says, hey, the thoughts matter. The heart matters. Notice uh, the second point here. God does not approve of lustful thoughts. Notice Christ has provided a plan to deal with lustful thoughts. And and I love this. He shows us when we're struggling with something. He shows us how to fix it. And then then notice, notice what he says. Let's go back to the scriptures here. Let them speak for themselves. Look back at verse Uh, Let's see, 29 here. And if thy right hand offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not thy whole body shall be cast into hell. What is Jesus saying here? He's he's saying this. He's he's saying that that, uh, he's giving us an opportunity here to take decisive and necessary action. It's it's as simple as, you know, putting myself in this position is not wise. I tell the uh, teenagers so often, I say, look, there shouldn't be a a computer or any type of software in your house that does not have a filter in it. Something that protects you from going places that you shouldn't go. Accountability is good for kids, but it's also good for adults as well. 
And those things will guard us, obviously, from our thought life. So, uh, God does not approve of lustful thoughts. Christ has provided a plan to deal with those, mortify the flesh, as a principle that we see in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. Uh, Jesus is hedging on that concept here. But notice uh, letter C, God did not condone their permissive spirit regarding divorce. Notice what it says. They were taking great liberties. God did not condone their permissive spirit regarding divorce. Verse 31 and 32 speaks to this. Again, marriage uh, was the standard, and in their day and age, they were finding whatever reason they could uh, to get divorced, and the Lord pointed that out. I thought it was so neat just a couple weeks ago, um, the uh, Lobos family celebrated 50 years of being married. Boy, that was exciting to see. Well, they had just a small ceremony, and Christina ended up playing for that, and I sat at the back, and Boy, I just thought, what a beautiful picture of the the faithfulness of God, boy, in these two people's lives. And, you know, those are the types of things that we want to look at and we want to say, hey, that's what God wants for us. And so, again, the, the Pharisees here were accused by Jesus of looking at certain things and and taking the lowest bar that they could, but they missed the intent. Look at the point, the third point here in the next section As we finish up tonight, they had a debilitated view of commitment. In verse 33, verse 33, you'll notice it says, and again, you've heard that it has been said, again, following this pattern of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself. The idea there is to to swear falsely uh, by them of old time, to swear falsely, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. Verse verse 34, but I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne. For by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, neither shalt thou swear by the hand, because thou canst make one hair white or black. Verse 37, but, I, but let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh evil. You know, maybe this is something we think too much about, but in Jesus' day, it was a big deal. Uh, they had found ways around keeping their word. Uh, they had they found ways to, to kind of hedge their commitments. Oh, and it was a huge thing. In fact, the reason why, and Jesus is pointing back here uh, to some laws that were given by Moses, the reason why that had to be established is because people were not being honest. Now, you couldn't rely on someone when they said, yeah, I'll do that, uh, to actually keep their word. And so that a lot of this has to do with just straight out lying, but Jesus here points us back to the intent or the standard. It was common practice in their day to give their word by promising on something in particular. I don't know if you can identify with this, but uh, when we really wanted to add weight as kids uh, to something we were going to do, we would say, cross my heart and hope to die. And then we'd, I don't know why, we'd say, stick a needle in my eye. Like, I, I, everybody said that, but I don't, like today as an adult, I'm like, what, what were we talking about? My goodness, no. Um, it was just something we said. We were doing it to, to add weight to our words. Like, when someone said that, you're like, oh, man, oh, they're serious now. I mean, that's really serious. Okay, we're getting, that's going to happen, right? Um, and, you know, jokingly, but the Pharisees had kind of developed this process where they would, they would promise Instead of promising by the sacrifice on the altar, they would say, I promise by the altar itself. And then they would parse words. And they would say, well, 
you know, you see, I, I, didn't, I didn't promise by the sacrifice, which would have been like, I got to keep that promise. Yeah, I actually promised just by uh, the altar and, you know, technically, you see what I'm saying? kind of goes back to that, that idea of parsing things, manipulating things, and, and all along they were being deceitful and they weren't keeping their commitments. And so Jesus brings them back to the intent and says, hey, look, live honest and open. Look at that uh, first letter there. Christ was concerned about the deceptive nature in which they were using their words. Deceptive is the blank right there. Christ was concerned about the deceptive nature in which they were using their words. Notice letter B, Christ challenged them to keep their word and their commitments by stating their intentions honestly. And what is the last verse, verse 37? But let your communication be yes and no. Okay, you don't, you don't need to make all these flowery, you know, uh, uh, promises and oaths that, you know, you're trying to undermine people. No, look, if you commit to something, commit to it. And let your word be your bond. They had a debilitating view of commitment. So Jesus, again, drawing us back to the heart of the matter when he addresses anger, married life, commitment. Notice number four, they had an ungodly view of revenge. And boy, if there's a challenging passage of Scripture, it's these next two points. Now, verse 38, look at verse 38 with me. They had an ungodly view of revenge. Verse 38, you've heard that it been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist no evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him other also. Verse 40, and if any man will sue thee at law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Verse 41, whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with them twain. Verse 42, give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow, turn of thee, turn not thou away. Boy, what, what commands? You talk about a high calling. Boy, this is something that confronts our flesh point blank. And why is he saying this? Well, in the Old Testament, God established a set of rules that were to be enacted and kept by the judges. And those in authority to rule over certain cases that came before them. And as a general policy, this idea, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, was kind of the roadmap by which the judges, the ordained judges, would work through problems with people. But again, Jesus says, look, the standard is not to look at everybody that looks at you funny and run them on up to the court to, to figure out who gets what and who does what and who's, you know. Uh, that's not the answer. The answer here is, is to give grace, it's, it's to, to look at people and say, hey, how, how can I take this moment to show glory to God in a way that seems countercultural to the way the world operates? And boy, this is a, a high calling for sure, but uh, I want you to notice here that in, in letter A, uh, a Christian must not make use of private revenge. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Okay, the, 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 these Pharisees were you know, giving out advice and, you know, people were trying to take matters into their own hands and, well, I'm going to take care of this person and I'm going to get them back for everything that I can. And Jesus 
Hits that point blank, he says, a Christian must not use, make use of private revenge. People who sit around plotting or planning how to get someone back and become consumed with evil thoughts and actions, that's exactly what he's talking about. So the question should not be, how can I just get somebody back who has wronged me, but how can I glorify God through this experience? And let her be there is so true. A Christian must seek the wisdom of God to understand how best to show God's love to people who have wronged them. Anybody ever wronged you before? I was going to say, you're probably not human tonight if, if you answer no. I think we've all been there. We've, we've all been in situations we'd say, well, that, that just doesn't feel right. That's not fair. We've all been in situations before on the receiving end of, of maybe an accusation or, or, or somebody's anger for whatever reason, and, and um, we, we've been on the end of that, and boy, we need wisdom of God to know how best to respond and show the love of God to these people. He gives uh, a couple of quick illustrations of this particular point. He talks about a physical altercation. In verse uh, 39, says somebody smites you on the right. What is he talking about? He's saying, hey, when angers flare, someone becomes physical, the answer is not to, hey, I'm going to cream them, right? I mean, that, that was kind of the, the, the way we operated on the playground in elementary school. Uh, it was the weirdest thing, but we, we felt like we were a, a gang of, of brothers, you know, we'd run around with our ball or our football. I mean, you know, you pick a fight with one of us, you're going to have to deal with all of us, you know, and we're, we're like that tall, you know, we think we're big and bad, and, and that's kind of how we operated. Hey, you, you pick on me, we're going to find a way. It may not be right now, but when Tuesday comes, we're going to get you. You know, that, that's kind of the way we thought, and you know what? That's in all of us. Boy, that, that is a fleshly response. You know, when somebody cuts us off, what do we, we want to cut them off. You know, when somebody does something to us, we want, we want to get them. And Jesus says, like, hold on a second. Hey, who exactly are you? Are you children of God? Boy, you, you operate differently than the world. And boy, what does it look like when we're running all over trying to settle these dis- disputes in unrighteous manners? Christian has to seek the wisdom of God on these things. He talks about a, a physical altercation. He talks about a petty disagreement. He talks about this coat here. Look, look, just give him another coat. He talks about a dispute of services. Here we, we have the classic, you know, going the second mile or the extra mile. And, and uh, many of you uh, understand that in this day and time, any Roman soldier could look at a Jew and say, hey, carry my stuff. And by law, they were required to carry their stuff for a mile. And that, that, was, that was the rule. That was the law. And people were looking at it. And as soon as that mile came, you, you and I know we can track it real easy. They didn't have what we have today. But as soon as that mile hit, whether it was the counting of the steps, they said, whoop, I'm done. See you, buddy. Bye. Yeah, that, that was the mindset. But why? Because they're so focused on the parsing of the law. Boy, I, don't, I don't have to go any further than this. What does Jesus say? Hey, you know what? Surprise somebody. Yeah, they don't deserve it. Yeah, they, they haven't earned that. But hey, what, what if you did just go the extra mile for somebody? Why, what, what if you did do that for them? Boy, I wonder what opportunities that might open up. Boy, what a challenge to all of us. A, 
a, a dispute of services, so to speak. And the last one here is an unreasonable ask. We could say, give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not away. And the response of, oh, you don't deserve that. You haven't done anything to deserve that. Jesus says, well, settle down. Wait a second. Maybe this is a way for you to show grace and kindness to someone. So we back up and we say, okay, Lord, am I, am I focus on just parsing the law to what's fair? Or am I focused on, Lord, shining for your glory? And we need God's wisdom to do that. Notice the final point tonight, and we're done. Our time is gone. You notice they had a worldly view of how to treat their enemies. You talk about a, a challenging passage of Scripture. Look at verse 43. You've heard that it said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. An important note here, it says nowhere in the Old Testament, thou shalt hate thine enemy. This is one of the proofs that he's speaking about what the Pharisees had communicated to people. Notice back to the text, you've heard it's been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor, hate thine enemy, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and of the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust, for if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be therefore perfect, complete, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Notice the final blanks tonight. They had a worldly view of how to treat their enemies. Letter A, God does not condone hate of anyone. Letter B, Christ provides an example of how we ought to treat those who have treated us poorly. What does he say? Love them. What does he say? Bless them. What does he say? Do good to them. Do nice things for them. And pray for them specifically. And then let us see here. Christ tells us why we should love them. And the last remaining verse is there because, because that's who we are. Because of who we are. We're God's children. And, and this is the character of God. This is the way God would respond. And aren't we that, that Christian, that term, little Christ, an extension of him? Because this is who he is. Loving people who love us is common. Brings that out about the publicans. Anyone can love people who love them. But boy, what if we were to love the people who treat us the worst? What do you say? That's, that's a high calling. Yep, and, and can only be done through the power and the spirit of God. And yet it's what the Lord has called us to. And then last of all, because God is the standard for our lives, not people. Be therefore perfect as who? Not my neighbor who I've got respect for. Not that family member that I say, wow, he's got it together. But it's our heavenly father. That's the standard for our character in the Christian life. When you say, Rose Scott, you've mentioned some hard things tonight. We're both nodding our heads in agreement of that. Well, you know, this isn't a calling that I can do in my flesh. It goes against everything and every system that this world operates on. But you know what it is? It has everything to do with the spirit of the law. You know, I, I wish 
that I could give my children when they reach 18, they go off to college, 19, whatever it is. I wish I could hand them a book that literally has a sentence for every given situation that they were ever encounter in life. I just say, look at that. You know, just read that section 1563. You'll see it there. We don't have that. Now, we have a lot. But if I can teach them the spirit by which God has given us these commands, they're going to get far down the road of the Christian life. Heads bowed and eyes closed tonight. Our time is gone. We're going to go to our invitation time. And I, I hope the Lord has spoken to us this evening. And I don't doubt that in reading some of these verses, we need God's wisdom to direct our hearts and how to handle certain things. But maybe the Lord's pricked your heart on a certain subject that Jesus talked about. Uh, something that's fresh in your mind. Something that you've been going through. Or maybe something that a, a child, a teenager in your home has been dealing with. And, and boy, we need to get back to the spirit by which Jesus has commanded us things. Instead of basing our lives on the lowest rule that we can find, we look to the highest calling of our Heavenly Father. And it is the blessed life. Just a moment, we're going to get a chance to pray, and I encourage you to look over those prayer requests on the backside of your bulletin, and uh, let's take these names to the Lord in prayer. The piano will play for just a bit, and then we'll go to prayer.